welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. Our scripture reading today is from John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us. Thanks so much, Haley. Well, friends, uh, this morning I am going uh, to teach us a new word. Uh, it's, uh, it's a word that you never knew that you needed to know, um, but once you hear it, I think you will realize why we need to know it. It comes from that endless source of wonderful compound words, the German language. Uh, and the word, uh, if I may butcher its pronunciation, is Weltschmerz. Doesn't it just roll off the tongue? Weltschmerz. Uh, it's hard to find an exact English equivalent, uh, but most closely it's translated as world pain. Weltschmerz. A Cambridge scholar of German history and language, uh, Joachim Whaley, puts it this way. Weltschmerz is the sense that one is personally inadequate and that one's personal inadequacy reflects the inadequacy of the world generally. It is pain suffered simultaneously both in the world and at the state of the world with the sense that the two are linked. Weltschmerz, great word. The, uh, the awareness that you are not well, that I am not well, and that the unwellness in me is connected to what's broken in the world, uh, to the unwellness that we see all around us, the connection of our brokenness to the world's brokenness. These days, uh, we are familiar with Weltschmerz, even if you've never heard the word. Uh, we are familiar with the feeling. Uh, the whole world, and, and probably a way that it never has been in my lifetime, uh, is united in our awareness of the brokenness of this world. As we suffer uh, the fragility of our bodies and recognize the widespread illness and death that the coronavirus has brought, as we feel the fragility of our systems, of our economic systems, of our governmental systems, we feel that the world is broken all around us. 
that surely this is not the way that it's supposed to be in this world. And yet, uh, while there's this one unifying concern out there in the world, it doesn't stop the other countless ways that we experience our own lives as being broken, right? We continue uh, right in the midst of it to suffer and to struggle with some of the same things we've always struggled with. In fact, usually uh, what times of crisis do is they reveal us. They reveal what's going on in our lives. They reveal the brokenness in our relationships, right? Many of us have felt the cracks in our relationships uh, that have only grown wider as we've been stuck in homes together. We feel the fragility and the tension of our marriages. We feel the impatience that we often feel parents to children and children to parents. We feel our relational isolation if you're home alone, longing for human contact. So it surfaces our relational longings and brokenness. It surfaces our psychological brokenness. This has been an extreme time of anxiety and despair for many of us. If you already struggle with anxiety, then this is only, uh, for many of us, only brought it more and more to the surface of our lives. Far from distracting us from the other things that are broken in us, it surfaces our addictions and our disorders. It's heightened our awareness uh, of the injustice of our world, right? We read stories, uh, I read stories this week about how the coronavirus has disproportionately affected the poorest among us, how it's disproportionately affected the African-American community at both the rate of infection and the rate of death surfacing long-standing systems of inequality in healthcare and wellness. Weltschmerz, the word you never knew you needed. Uh, but it does put a particular name on this world that we live in, a world that's broken in the awareness that we are no better, that we are a participant, we are a contributor to the brokenness of this world. And so we long for a better world. We long for better selves, right? We long to be different and to live in a world that's different. And friends, it's the Christian claim of Easter that the resurrection of Jesus has brought just such a world to be. That the world is being made new and that you and I can be made new through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the passage uh, from 1 Corinthians that Willie read is our assurance of pardon. Paul reminds us, Paul tells us that anyone who is in Christ, there is new creation. Right? The old world of Weltschmerz, the old world of, of pain in the world and in ourselves is passing away. And we are being pulled by Jesus, by faith, into a new world. To stick uh, with our German theme I love the way that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, the great early 20th century theologian uh, and martyr in Hitler's Germany, put it. He describes the place of the resurrection in Christianity this way. He says, Christ did not come into the world that we might understand him, but that we might cling to him, that we might simply let ourselves be swept away by him into the immense event of the resurrection that we would let ourselves be swept away by him into the immense event of the resurrection. Friends, that is the offer of Easter. 
that you and I might be swept away into a new world by the resurrection of Jesus. But what about those of us who are not easily swept away? What about those of us who pride ourselves in not being naive, uh, in not being anybody's fool? Those who are not swept away easily by good news. What about those of us uh, for whom the good news seems, quite honestly, a little too good to be true? Some of us would prefer Jesus as the communicator of truths, right? What Bonhoeffer tells us he is not, the one who comes simply that we might understand him, right? Many of us would rather Jesus came and taught us things about God that we could evaluate with our minds. We could choose to either know or not know, understand, not understand, believe, or discard. Some of us have our guard up in such a way that we would rather not be whisked away by something as fanciful as a claim of a resurrection or a new world. And so into that situation, enter Thomas, the man that we read about uh, in John chapter 20. I think that Thomas uh, in the scriptures, in the gospel of John, uh, is a gift of God's grace to those of us who find our hearts slow to believe, of those of us who find ourselves often wrestling with doubt and questions, right? Thomas could have easily been there on that first Easter when Jesus appeared to his disciples. But I believe that God in his grace uh, kept Thomas away so that those of us who struggle to believe might have someone in the story to identify with. Somebody who doesn't uh, fall easily into these claims of resurrection. And so Thomas comes into our story, uh, known to history as Doubting Thomas, which I actually hate for Thomas. I don't think that's fair to Thomas. Because Thomas begins our story with doubts, with honest questions and doubts. But he doesn't end our story there. By the end of Jesus' interaction with Thomas, Thomas is going to cry out, my Lord and my God, giving uh, the highest acclaim to Jesus that any of the characters of the Gospels give. Thomas is the only one in the Gospels who particularly names Jesus as God. Because doubt, friends, is often the threshold to faith. Honest doubt, honest questioning is often the soil in which extravagant joy and worship and faith grows. And so, Thomas's story. Now, in John's gospel, uh, just as we read in that lovely story from the Jesus Storybook Bible at the beginning of the service, in John's story, the first witnesses to the gospel uh, are the women. Uh, And they run and they go and tell Peter, James, and John, who then run uh, to the tomb to see the empty tomb. And then later that evening on uh, the night of Easter, the disciples are gathered in a room and Jesus, we're told, appears right in the center of them. Now here we get the, the, the image of Jesus. We're told particularly that they're meeting behind a locked door and Jesus just appears in the middle of them. Every bit is real and as tangible as you or I. And so here we get what the Gospels are unanimous in saying is that Jesus' resurrection wasn't an apparition, 
right? It wasn't uh, the memory of Jesus appearing to the disciples. It wasn't uh, some kind of ghost or spirit of Jesus appearing to the disciples. Jesus was just as physical as he had been before the crucifixion. Even they were told could see the scar in his side and the holes in his hands and in his feet. So Jesus is a physical resurrection, but it's a more than physical resurrection, right? It's not less than physical, but it's more than physical because he seems to be able to come and go as he wants. This is a, a humanity unchained by the limits of this creation, by the frailty of the laws of nature and creation that are imposed on us, no longer subject certainly to death and decay. And so he appears to them and they see him and they believe. But Thomas wasn't there. We don't know where Thomas was, uh, but we know that he wasn't there uh, with his friends, with the other disciples. In researching for this sermon, it's amazing the number of commentators and preachers. They use this as an example of saying, see, when the church gathers on Sundays, you should be there because you never know what you're going to miss, right? If you, if you don't show up, you might miss Jesus himself. Um, I will not... Uh, Stretch the point uh, there. But Peter, I mean, uh, Thomas misses it. And we're told eight days later, which is the way um, that the Israelites would have referred to a full week. So this is now the next Sunday. This is the second Easter Sunday. Jesus is not yet ascended to his father. And now here he appears to Thomas. He appears to the one who said, you know what, guys, you guys can believe that. But as for me, until I see him with my own eyes. Until I touch his wounds with my own hands, I won't believe. Thomas understood what they were claiming, that Jesus had been really and physically resurrected, that he was there with them in his body. But Thomas, it all seemed too good to be true. It all seemed like just too much to believe. He couldn't just take their word for it. And remember, these are his best friends. These are the 12 disciples, or the, the, uh, the remaining 10 disciples after you get rid of Judas and Thomas himself. Uh, these are his best friends. These are people that he, spent 10, uh, that he spent three years following Jesus together with. These are trustworthy witnesses. And yet Thomas can't take their word for it. He says, I have to see him. I have to touch him. I have to know it for myself. And in an absolutely amazing show of tenderness and grace, Jesus actually shows up to him. Jesus doesn't say, Thomas, how can you not believe? How can you be so thick-headed? How can you be so slow of heart? How can you be so cold? No, Jesus doesn't judge him. He doesn't stand at his distance and say, well, you figure it out. He comes to him. He appears to him. He, he takes his hand and says, look, touch. Touch my wounds. See my hands. See my scars. Know that it's me. Thomas expresses his honest doubts. And Jesus honors them. You know, we know that Jesus responds to faith. We've seen that throughout the gospel accounts. Over and over, Jesus responds to those who trust in him, even a little bit. Even with weak and failing faith, Jesus responds with grace, with healing, with mercy. But in Thomas's story, we see that Jesus also responds to honest doubt, right? That Jesus doesn't sit back and wait for us to believe before he comes near to us. 
the questions honestly asked, doubts that lead us uh, not to harden ourselves in a position of unbelief, but doubts that lead us to go, I wonder what's true. I wonder who Jesus is. I wonder if this good news might not be too good to be true after all. That Jesus responds, not just to faith, but to doubt honestly expressed. You know, for some people, faith seems to come easy. Right? I saw a, uh, a bumper sticker uh, the other day that said, the Bible says it. Or it says, God said it. Uh, I believe it. That settles it. Right? And if I'm honest, uh, I envy, in some ways, people for whom faith is that cut and dry. Because for me, more often than not, my experience of faith has been that it's never come that easy for me. Uh, the questions have kind of always been there. I've gone through several periods of my life where the questions uh, seemed to press up against me so much that I wondered if I could remain uh, believing, particularly in, uh, in college, in my undergraduate degree. When I first began not only studying the other religions of the world, but meeting people who believed them and finding much that was respectable and lovable in them, first encountering some of the questions and the criticisms of Christianity from the scholarly world, I went through a season in which faith seemed almost impossible, where I asked those kinds of questions that Thomas asked. Why does it seem so real to so many others? Why does Jesus seem so present to others where my doubts uh, seem to fog the whole mess? And what I found was what Thomas found, is that Jesus loves to reveal himself to those who want to know him. Right? I didn't get to see Jesus or to touch Jesus. Right? Very few have. Right? Jesus appeared to Thomas in a physical way. But what I've learned over my life and over my ministry, what the Christian church has learned over 2,000 years, is that Jesus does love to reveal himself to those who want to know him. Right, he even says in verse 29 of our text, you believe because you see, blessed are those who not seeing believe. Right, he even seems to say, Thomas, I'm giving you this this experience of me with your hands and your eyes. But blessed are those who don't have that, who don't see, who don't touch, and yet believe through their experience of my mercy, through their experience of my presence and my spirit, come to a place of life-giving faith. The Gospel of John ends uh, in the final bit of our reading. John tells us that everything that he's written in the Gospel Everything that's written down for us about Jesus is written with one purpose. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you might have life in his name. And that was Thomas's experience. After seeing and touching Jesus, we're told that he cries out, my Lord and my God. We said this is the highest praise that any character uh, any of the figures in the Gospels give to Jesus. Acknowledging him not only to be the Messiah, God's anointed, not only to be God's son, his special chosen servant, but to be my Lord and my God. Thomas's confession of faith is both incredibly high and lofty. He is Lord and he is God. 
yet incredibly personal and tender. He's not just the Lord and the God. He's my Lord. He's my God. What Thomas recognizes is that Jesus, far from being just another teacher, far from being just another servant of God who loved people and sought his purposes, he actually is God in the flesh. The God, the creator God, the God who spoke light out of darkness and something out of nothing has become my God. The God who became flesh and blood. The God who was born into a manger. He became God in the flesh for us. He was baptized for us. He was tempted for us. And for us, he resisted temptation. For us, he lived a life of faith and obedience to the Father, a life of love to God and to his neighbor. For us, he suffered. For us, he was betrayed. For us, he died. And for us, he rose again to new life so that we might rise to new life with him. My God and my Lord. God, come down to us so that we in Christ might ascend to God that we might know him in a living relationship so that the bad news of this world might not have the last word in our lives, but so that we could enter in to the new world that Jesus has brought, a world that still bears scars. Notice Jesus is still bearing the very scars of the cross, but a world made new, a world being remade by the grace of Jesus. And it doesn't take superhuman faith to believe that. It doesn't take uh, a kind of faith that turns your questions off or pretends you don't have any doubts. The first step is often the step that Thomas makes. That's simple, I want to know Jesus. Right? If it's true, I want to experience him. I want to know him. I want to touch him. Perhaps not with your hands or with your eyes, but to know him in your mind, to know him in your heart and to know him by faith. Because all who trust in Jesus become a part of his new creation, his new life, his new world. Friends, in a world of bad news, that is good news indeed. And it's the good news that has the last laugh, the good news that gets to the end of the story. I'll finish with these words uh, from the preacher and writer Frederick Beekner. He writes, the worst isn't the last thing about the world. It's next to the last thing. The last thing is the best thing. It's the power from on high that comes down into the world, that wells up from the rock bottom worst of the world, like a hidden spring. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? The last best thing is the laughing deep in the hearts of the saints, sometimes in our hearts even. Yes, friends, you are terribly loved and forgiven. Yes, you are healed and all is well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it stretches our hearts to believe uh, that we really could be that loved and that forgiven and that healed. But Lord, uh, we woke up today into a world in which the Son of God is risen from the dead. And if that has happened, then everything is possible. If death no longer hangs over our lives like a shroud, 
then anything is possible. It's possible for sinners like us, as weak and as wandering as we are, to be gathered home by the loving arms of our Father. It's possible for people as fearful and anxious as we are to experience hope and life and gladness, even in this world. And it's possible, Lord, for us is broken and is scarred and is ill as we know ourselves to be, to be healed and to be made new, to be transformed by the very power that brought Jesus from death to life. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that for us. John tells us that these things, these stories about Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection are written that we might believe and that believing we might have life in his name. And so, Lord, whether today it's for the first time or for the hundredth time, Lord, we place our faith in you. It's weak faith. It's sometimes doubting faith. It's faith that we struggle to cling to. And yet, Lord, it's faith that believes that you cling to us even when our grip on you fails. That you move towards us even when in our doubt and our unbelief we're tempted to go away from you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would create your new resurrection, Holy Spirit, birth life in us. Lord, we pray that we would enter into your new resurrection world, into our new lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.